Hi, and welcome to the podcast, our weekly conversation on issues and policies with the people driving the decisions. When the now-defunct tech company Sidecar started traversing the streets of Boston in 2013, the ride-hailing industry was little more than a way for millennials to save a few bucks by sharing a ride from point A to point B. There wasn't much of a threat to the taxi industry, and since it meant people could save or scrape a few extra bucks that didn't fit neatly into the taxi template, there wasn't much need to rail them in. Enter Uber, and Lyft, and Fasten, and a number of other smartphone apps, and suddenly we have more than 60,000 self-employed chauffeurs in Massachusetts using their own cars to pick up and drop off passengers, and nothing to regulate them as, a, as an industry, either locally or statewide. Both the Massachusetts House and Senate have passed their version of bills to regulate the transportation network companies, but neither bill satisfies any side completely. Boston Mayor Marty Walsh is disappointed that the legislature has moved the, removed the ability to regulate from cities and towns, unlike the way taxis are governed. With us to t- today to discuss the issue are two people intimately involved in crafting regulations at the state and local level. level. Senator Eric Lesser of Longmeadow was a member of the Senate panel that helped write the chamber's measure and is co-chair of the legislature's Millennial Engagement Initiative, a key demographic of users of ride-hailing apps. Welcome, Senator. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And also joining us is Chris English of Mayor Walsh's Office of Intergovernmental Relations and chairman of the mayor's 24-member Taxi Advisory Commission, which was formed in 2013 to address the changing landscape for the taxi industry and determine the impact of the emerging ride-hailing industry. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, let's, Chris, let me start with you. Um, Mayor Walsh said uh, on uh, Tuesday that he was disappointed with uh, the measures that are coming out and that the city is no longer in charge of its own regulations. But some people are saying that that's part of the problem with the taxi regulations, that they're a patchwork from one community to the next. Why do you need regulations at the city level? So I think the main crux of our uh, our policy development work regarding TNCs really stems from the fact that Boston has a, a pretty unique uh, situation in within the Commonwealth uh, as uh, TNCs have, have exploded in their growth uh, using Boston's infrastructure for it. So the number of trips that are happening uh, by all of the companies combined, have a significant majority of them uh, pass through Boston at, at some point, whether they begin or end here or completely exist within the city's limits. And I think that, in combination with our, our unique transportation challenges uh, that, that are many, but you know, including the number of students uh, that we have here, you know, 140,000 undergraduate students that, you know, likely don't have uh, vehicles of their own, uh, require transportation options. Uh, we have the convention center and the airport are both located within the city's limits. Uh, so access to those uh, can't happen without <coughs> traveling on Boston streets. Uh, we have sort of these challenges that need to be addressed at, at a uniquely Boston level that I don't think can be addressed uh, through statewide regulation alone. So sort of where, where our advocacy has has been uh, is really to, you know, ensure that there are common regulations across the state, but uh, at the same time, you know, recognize that there are unique situations that some cities and towns are in uh, that 
should be addressed at, at the local level. Well, he, ma- he makes a good point, Senator. Uh, what works in Longmeadow and, and Hamden County and the Berkshires may not apply to the city where more than a million people are coming in and going out and passing through every day. Why not a light touch and allow allow somebody like Boston to be able to regulate the TNCs here? I agree. I think it's a, a very obviously a very valid point and a, and a good point, uh, which is why one of the elements of the bill that we wrote includes a ten cent assessment per ride, which is given to the location of origin of that of that Uber or Lyft or sidecar ride. So, for example, if you hail a ride sharing service in Back Bay and take it to Cambridge. That ten cents will be transferred over to the to the city of Boston because that's where it originated, and they can spend that on on just as Chris mentioned things like transportation improvements. If they want, they can set up a program with um, their taxi medallion um, and taxi drivers, or they can use it for uh, signal improvements, intersection improvements, anything related to transportation. I think. Um, What's important for people to appreciate about this uh, this this industry is it's an, it's at first it's entirely new. Um, six seven years ago, didn't exist at all. Uh, someone would have thought you were inventing something out of science fiction. Frankly, if they had described this to you ten years ago, uh, the other thing is is that. One thing we were really sensitive to and what we wanted to do in the Senate is actually make sure that we were curing some of the deficiencies with the current taxi regulatory scheme rather than just replicating that 20th century innovation um, for the 21st century. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I'm from Western Mass, but I have spent some time uh, in the Boston area. If you hail a cab in Davis Square, for example, and want to take that cab to Logan, that cab will drive you to Logan, drop you off, and then has to drive back to Somerville empty uh, because they can't pick up uh, any passengers in Boston or anywhere else along the route. So what that means is that the cost is essentially double because the passenger is paying for that ride to Logan and that ride for the cab to go empty all the way back uh, to uh, Somerville. And that's why, for example, uh, the price of hailing a cab from Davis Square to Logan is probably around, what, $50, $60, whereas an Uber or a Lyft or another ride-sharing service uh, to do the equivalent is a fraction of it. So I think you know something we, want to, we wanted to appreciate is actually the regional component of these ride-hailing services is an important innovation uh, to protect, so long as, of course, there are some elements here that allow, for example, a place like Boston, which has very unique needs, the flexibility to do what it needs to do, and a place like Springfield or Longmeadow or Lenox uh, to, to do what they need to do. But to stay on that for a second, the, the House bill um, leaves in place the ability for Massport to regulate um, their the coming and going for uh, any kind of drop-offs, taxis, livery, or uh, transportation network companies. And their regulations, which are uh, set up by statute, don't allow uh, anybody from outside of Boston to pick up a curbside as far as taxis go. How does this change that then? Because in the House bill also um, has a five-year ban on picking up at yeah. the uh, convention center, <laughs> well, although the Senate bill does. I help with the Senate bill, so. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but how, how how does this change? How does this level that field? 
It, well, first, the Senate bill does not include uh, the ban on Logan or the ban on the convention center. Um, I, you know, we there was very little support in our caucus for that, uh, and uh, I think for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I'd be interested actually in the in the city's opinion on that, but for a variety of reasons, uh, you know, we didn't support that. Didn't include that. Uh, in the in the Senate version, uh, one of the reasons is we want to try to make it as easy as possible for people who are landing at our airport uh, to get around the region um, as quickly and easily as possible. And it seems counterintuitive to me that if someone is landing from outside the region, even from you know in one of these new international locations, Dubai or Tel Aviv or wherever, lands here and flips open their phone, and one of the first things people now do is check for a ride sharing service to have that kind of arbitrarily not be available is, isn't something we supported in the Senate and, um, and, and there, were, there were no attempts in, you know, in the amendment process to put that back in. Where, where does the city come down on that, Chris? Do you want to maintain that exclusivity at, uh, at, at Logan and the um, Convention Center for uh, Boston Cabbies? I think one of the most important things that we can do is make sure that people coming into the city uh, have every single option available to them for uh, transportation, right? So a lot of people uh, that fly into Logan hop in a vehicle, uh, a cab at this point, uh, take it to the convention center, go to a conference, get back in the cab, and are out to Logan on their way home. They're, they're really, their welcoming experience to the city of Boston is how they get out of the airport and then back to the airport. And that first and last impression uh, is something that you know, we want to make sure is the best possible impression that they can have. Uh, so, you know, we understand that the, the number of passengers coming in and out of Logan is probably not going down anytime soon. Uh, and we want to make sure that people have ample options available to them uh, to get to and from the places that they need. So then the, the mayor, just to, to be clear, is, is supportive of the idea of opening up um, Logan and opening up the uh, convention center to uh, transportation network companies? I'd say the mayor hasn't taken a firm position uh, one way or the other on, on a restriction at Logan or uh, the convention centers. I think what our position has been is that, you know, we need to make sure that options exist, whether or not um, they are appropriate uh, in terms of a ban or a fully un- uh, undefined uh, operation of, of vehicles at, at these different locations is, I think, what we have been uh, waiting to see what the legislature comes up with. So uh, we haven't taken a formal position on it yet other than to say uh, it's important that these options exist. Senator Lesser uh, brought up the uh, point in the Senate bill is the uh, 10 cent surcharge, or not surcharge because it's not coming from riders. Exactly. It's assessed on the company, right. and, and the language is, pre- is very clear. Right. In the so bill. it's a 10 cent ride assessment, and language uh, says that it goes to the transportation infrastructure funds of the communities. Um, in Boston's case, where you're talking millions, you're talking roughly. Um, $250,000, a month that will be coming into the city. Have you examined that, and, and is there any way that you will be looking at that for mitigation for taxis, for instance, uh, as Chris mentioned? I mean, there's probably no city in, Bo- in, in Massachusetts that has more difficulties with the medallion um, uh, market than uh, Boston. So we've looked at the the assessments uh, in in a couple different ways. I think one of the concerns 
that we have uh, with the way the language is written at the state level is still that the money goes first to the state and then must be remit to the cities and towns that are, are supposed to be getting their share of it. Uh, and, you know, as you know, sometimes the state doesn't always uh, fulfill their their financial obligations. Be careful, you wash you should be part of that. <laughs> um, so there, there's definitely uh, a, a concern about that. Um, what we had filed uh, with Senator Rush as an amendment was through our, um, the local licensing process that we had pr proposed was to have a, a per trip assessment come directly into the city and along the same lines of the language that was written uh, for the statewide fund is to use that money for uh, improvements to our transportation infrastructure and making sure that uh, traffic mitigation and and roadway realignment or even just everyday fixes to the infrastructure that we have that supports the business model of, of TNCs, um, that's what the money is used for. So that that's where we've been coming from. Um, is, is that a legitimate <coughs> concern, uh, Senator, that I think you hear a lot of times from uh, everybody, whether it's taxpayers or, or community officials, that um, the legislature will say, let's do this, and the money goes into the general fund, and we will then distribute it. But there's nothing that obligates them to right. distribute it forever. It's completely valid, and we I face this challenge, and a lot of the communities I represent you know, go through this with unfunded man. I, I have some of the most rural parts of the state some, and some of the most urban, and they all face this challenge. So it, it's completely valid, which is part of the reason why, and, and now we, we should work on some of the language, you know, maybe in conference committee or something, about making sure that this isn't, is, is not sent to the general fund, but as was mentioned and as the law says, goes to the transportation you know, goes directly, basically, uh, to the transportation funds. I mean, that's frankly always a challenge when um, when these types of laws get written. Is there a so, way to do that in the conference committee? Uh, you know, we we can we can explore it. You know, uh, it, it was raised. Um, you know, it was raised in our caucus. It was raised during the debate, and um, you know, and we deliberately wrote the bill um, to make it as clear as possible. Uh, I mean, it, it specifically says in the law. Uh, that the assessment would be for um, uh, for municipal infrastructure and would be given to the or or um, taxi mitigation would be given to the city or town uh, where the ride originated. You know, I think to to sort of broaden the the discussion uh, a little bit. You know. This industry, again, is in its infancy, and one of the things that we struggled with uh, when we wrote it and when we put the committee together is how you strike the balance between protecting that underlying innovation, uh, which uh, ride-sharing represents, and incorporating all of these sort of legacy issues that you need to make sure get addressed. I mean, I think it's important for people to appreciate, understand, this is the equivalent of, you know, regulating automobiles, you know, before the dawn of the Model T. Uh, this is a very um, new industry, and what we wanted to do in this bill, the main priority in this bill was really um, getting those sort of basic rules and structures down um, and getting uh, some order, let's say, uh, and some regulatory certainty to the whole um, situation. And then we will see what happens from that and, and go from there, which is one of the reasons why the law also does give fairly broad discretion to the new ride for hire unit, uh, which would be within DPU, to develop the expertise they need, develop the data they need to then make 
um, recommendations either back to the legislature or, or where appropriate and where they can to make their own calls about um, you know about what what needs to be regulated and what doesn't. Why one of the questions that I've I've been hearing is why DPU? I mean, you've got. Uh, a key component of uh, these regulations <coughs> are the uh, background checks that are going to be yep. required, and the Senate has uh, now gone along with the House in, in the two-layer background right, check, the, yeah, um, exactly. having the state as well. Um, you also have the consumer component of it, which you know easily could be put under uh, an, another office. Why DPU to regulate this? Yeah, uh, great question. That was one of the first things I asked also when, <laughs> when this was all getting started. Um, they, they have the most expertise uh, for, uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. And this, we did, you know, we worked on this in conjunction with the governor's office. Um, you know, they, uh, they, uh, they regulate a whole host of other kind of transportation issues and, um, and do licensing. So, you know, that was the determination made. As, as, as you just pointed out, there's no perfect, um, uh, there's, there's no perfect agency to do it because it touched, you know, there's insurance regulations, there's, um, there's, uh, uh, obviously public safety regulations that would be part of, um, you know, Department of Public Safety. So it felt like the DPU, especially with their kind of broad, um, uh, experience kind of regulating and overseeing highly complex industries uh, had the most and the broadest level of uh, kind of experience and expertise to, to make it happen. So, Chris, what, one of the things that the city is facing is uh, an order from a federal judge uh, in a suit that was brought. Um, and, and what he said in essence was um, the city needs to level the playing field between taxis and um, the uh, TNCs. Nothing in the bill addresses taxis. While the senator did talk about, you know, learning from the issues and the problems that have happened with taxi regulation, um, that may apply to the TNCs, but there's nothing to alleviate their problems. And, and they are clearly going under. Uh, I don't think anybody's debating that we're seeing a, you know, a very slow death right now in the taxi industry. What's going to happen because the you are still under this order um, to level that playing field? Um, what's going to happen now once this bill comes out? It's a great question. I think something we're still struggling with uh, figuring out a strategy to address. I, I think that the judge's order, um, which so you know, his interpretation is that TNCs and taxis are similarly situated entities and should be regulated in the same way. Uh, what his order does not provide uh, is any guidance on what he feels would um, make sure those those two different uh, services are regulated in the same way and whether or not that is applying the medallion system to TNCs. Um, and. Well, know, it is which, a winner for you. Which, <laughs> exactly. Um, Good luck. <laughs> further complicated by uh, how that medallion system exists in the first place, but uh, or whether it, it's specific pieces of regulations that we have on uh, taxis that should be uh, removed or or deregulated in terms of, of making sure that taxis and, and TNCs are more equally situated. So, unfortunately, we. We didn't get much guidance from the judge on, on what what he would like us to do uh, or what would satisfy his, his order. Um, so we're sort of figuring that out. I think one of the most important things uh, is that, you know, the legislature does, you know, have a final bill 
at, at, at right. some point during this legislative session. Yeah, the, the, the lawsuit was, uh, or that, that pending case was on the top of our mind when we were, um, you know, working on this and, uh, and incorporating the feedback. And, you know, not to get too technical or legal here, but uh, what, you know, the, the basic argument that the judge was making, and it's worth pointing out that there'll be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of litigation around this as there is whenever a new kind of industry gets set up and a new uh, regime gets set up. So, you know, there's still a lot of question marks around it. But what he was basically saying is there needs to be a rational basis underlying the sort of different the, the different schemes for regulating uh, the different industries and very confident we've we talked to quite a lot of lawyers that uh, certainly the bill the Senate has put together and, and the house as well um, satisfies that threshold because uh, basically what they need is they they need some um, again some rational basis for the for the differences and one of the observations we've made and one of the things we saw when we worked on this is they are different. Um, you know, certainly, you know... Let me, Uber, let me just jump yeah. in here for a second, Senator. And that's that's a very good point that you make because a lot of people say that. How are they different? Yeah, great. This you, is, you know, you've yeah. got... You, you're picking up a paying passenger at one point and dropping them off right. at another point. So that part is the same. Uh, what What's different is everything behind behind that. So um, the model for ride sharing is basically crowdsourced transportation. The same way Wikipedia and Encyclopedia Britannica accomplish the same thing in the sense that they compile information about a given topic, you wouldn't argue that they're the same because Encyclopedia Britannica is centralized and is, you know, done by credentialed people, kind of like a medallion system for taxi drivers, whereas Wikipedia is done, you know, by the masses and by people who um, sort of in little bits contribute. That's the that's the underlying innovation of ride sharing is that um, uh, is that you're, uh, you're crowdsourcing uh, transportation needs so people can fluidly jump on or off the platform and become drivers based on demand or their own schedules and the ease of moving back and forth from the platform. My, my father was a uh, taxi driver in New York City, he drove a yellow cab uh, when he was at City College. Uh, um, you know, so I'm familiar with, uh, with uh, the industry and, and what's involved in it. For the most part, and there's obviously exceptions, but for the most part, um, taxi drivers operate under a medallion system and do this for their livelihood as a, as a full-time job, uh, and there's a credentialing process to get that medallion. Um, the ride-sharing innovation is really all about kind of ease of use, of jumping on and off this platform when your schedule allows. and that is fundamentally different. Uh, and what our our challenge was and, and what we're working on is how do you ensure that there is a safe, um, coordinated and appropriate regime for ensuring the safety and the, um, and the sort of good working order of that new innovation without quashing the underlying innovation. And it's worth pointing out this sort of ride sharing or crowdsource method of um, of sort of economic output is, is, is inserting itself into every part of our economy. I gave Wikipedia as an example. Airbnb is another one. Um, Which brings so, up another point. Yeah. I mean, Airbnb is basically in the hotel business, and it, at some point um, you're going to have to take a look at it, and, you know, our, it, because you're starting to hear some of these, um, for lack of a better term, um, horror stories of people oh, yeah. at, at Airbnb places, you know, of, of assaults, of... Um, you know different kind of crimes that are happening, uh, but but the point that that the app makes them different, that the technology makes them different, 
um, isn't the point that you're still regulating it for public safety, for passenger safety? If you look, for instance, you know, between, say, Amazon and a brick-and-mortar right, um, right. retail store, they still pay sales tax. They're treated the right. same there. They're still under the same kind of regulations when it comes to product safety, when it comes to um, selling guns, for instance. Um, anything that applies to a brick-and-mortar store applies to Amazon. So in, in the end, right. is it really, does it really much matter as far as the app goes? Uh, well, I think it's a, little, it's a little simplistic to say the only difference is the app. Um, you know, uh, I think that the Amazon comparison is a good one, uh, but there isn't one-to-one parity uh, on how, you know, um, you know, on, on how uh, retail regulations for bricks and mortar stores work versus Amazon. But you're absolutely right that the public safety and the um, and the all the sort of antecedent elements of that need to be a hundred percent. A person needs to the, here. Here's the way that I, I thought about it. A person needs to have a hundred percent of the same level of uh, of reliability in terms of the safety and the um, and the transparency of it all. If they're getting in a cab versus getting uh, in an Uber or a Lyft or a sidecar, um, that's abs- that, that's obviously our goal. Um, you know, it's a work in progress to get to that, but that's our goal. And I do think this bill does that. Just for a few examples, the insurance requirements in some ways are, are much more strict than the insurance requirements for cabs. Uh, the background check requirement in a lot of ways is much more uh, strict than the background check requirement. Uh, for cabs. So uh, the end product, which is the end goal, which is the, um, the person getting in and out of that, uh, in and out of that uh, transportation service, whether it's a yellow cab or a, um, or a, or a ride-sharing service, that end sort of reliability of safety, of insurance, of, of, um, of uh, public safety needs to be the same. But I think it would be a mistake for us to say that, okay, all the steps that leading up to that have to be the same. Because again, they're, they're different models uh, and they're based on different inputs uh, and they're based on different kind of modes of labor and, uh, and different um, uh, and, and, and just entirely different conceptualizations of how they work. So. Chris, one final question. Um, during the debate, uh, Senator uh, William Brownsberger of Belmont, um, there was a uh, an amendment that was offered by uh, Senator Linda Dorsina Forey from Dorchester um, that would have uh, required fingerprints. During the debate on that, Senator Brownsberger got up, and what I thought was kind of a, um, uh, a stunning uh, revelation, said there's nothing in the bill that would prevent the DPU from enacting fingerprints in the regulations which to me is kind of sending the message saying, go ahead, put fingerprints in there if you want. Boston right now is the only one that is fingerprinting taxi drivers. Do you think that, that or will you Springfield push? does too. Springfield does, I apologize. <laughs> no well, I didn't know that they were doing it. I thought it was in their um, regulations. But uh, they, spring, they, they, they kind of all intermittently have, but they, yeah. They, yeah, they have a rule for fingerprinting. Okay, yeah. well, Boston did just start it. Yeah, Boston's uh, was in February, I think, yep. right now. Will, will you push to... Um, to have that done um, so that uh, there, there's that level playing field? I think the, you know, if anybody's heard the police commissioner speaking over the past uh, year or so, uh, you know, he's certainly a big fan, a uh, big supporter of fingerprinting uh, as a way to uh, verify identities and, and, you know, appropriately 
go through criminal histories. Um, and I know that you know we've rolled out our, our fingerprinting for taxi drivers uh, recently. We've we've sort of been under a mandate to do it uh, since 2011. I think it just took a little while to get rolling, but. Um, we've already found that fingerprinting has disqualified three drivers that were previously granted Hackney driver's licenses um, because they were using false identities uh, to pass background checks, uh, which we never would have caught without uh, utilizing the fingerprinting uh, system. So I think there's certainly uh, value in, in biometrics uh, and identity verification that way. I think there's there's other ways to achieve that same goal, um, you know, one suggestion. Retinal scans or... Uh, <laughs> one one simple solution, uh, <laughs> you know, it involves an actual, just an in-person identity verification, checking somebody's ID to make sure that they are who they say they are. So when your, your entire application process is done online behind a phone, um, there's really no way to guarantee that the person applying is using their own information and not somebody else's. I think fingerprinting is one way to address that, but even the simpler step of doing an in-person application at, at some point is another way to address that without getting into the you know the specifics of, of fingerprinting and, and what all that brings along with it. So I, I think there's definitely measures that, that could be uh, improved upon as far as uh, driver vetting goes, but you know, certainly looking forward to see what the final uh, outcome of the, of the Senate and the House process and the conference process is and, you know, make a determination that way. Well, I, I wish we could go on because I certainly could. I got a bunch yeah, of questions, but this topic. has been great. Yeah. I, I, I really uh, do appreciate it. Um, uh, thank you, uh, Chris English from uh, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh's Office of uh, Intergovernment, uh, Intergovernmental Relations and uh, Senator Eric Lesser of Longmeadow. Uh, that's it for this week's podcast. You can listen to the podcast on our website at www.commonwealthmagazine.org or subscribe to it on SoundCloud and on uh, iTunes. Thank you for listening and come on back next week. Ride, take a free ride.